Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week, I'm joined on the podcast by my colleague, Maria Perita, CVPM. Maria is a force of nature. She is so much fun. And this episode is going to be no exception because we are going on a wild ride. So buckle up, friends. We are going to be talking about the challenges of going from being friends with the team to being their boss. And this is something that both Maria and I know something about as uh, managers in our management journey. We have experienced it ourselves. We both have some thoughts. And I wanted to share this uh, special episode with all of you because we are going to be having an awesome workshop that is going to be happening at our virtual practice manager summit on this very same topic. So uh, let's give you a little teaser of it now. And there's more details about that to come later in the episode. Let's get into this. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Stephanie Goss. And today I have a wonderful and amazing co-host in my colleague and co-worker and partner in crime in all things golden retrieverness, uh, the amazing, the wonderful Maria Perita, CVPM. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Maria. Thanks, Stephanie. It's always so much fun to talk to you. So I'm I... excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I am glad you're here. Um, I... Uh, think that this is a great episode uh, for you and I. And when I read this mailbag question, I was like, who needs Andy Rourke to do this episode? <laughs> I'm going to do this episode with Maria Farida. That's right. Um, <laughs> I hope you're listening, Andy Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> he might be regretting his life choices. <laughs> yeah, he listens. Like, mm, I don't know about this. <laughs> Uh, I may be getting fired again. <laughs> again, uh, For those of you listeners who don't know, uh, the running joke in Uncharted is that uh, it's not an Uncharted event if Stephanie Goss does not cry because I cry um, very easily. <laughs> <laughs> and I am a, you know how some people are a sympathetic barfer? I am that, but I am also a sympathetic crier. And so if other people cry, then I cry. Um, but also... Andy fires me on the regular is the running, running joke. So anytime something goes wrong or anything, time something gets screwed up, it doesn't matter whether I had anything to do with it. Uh, the answer is, I guess we're going to have to fire Stephanie Goss. So <laughs> I have a feeling that this episode is going to be one of those episodes where Andy regrets his life choices and regrets letting us loose. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, it's up knows? to you, Maybe. audience. Make sure you uh, <laughs> like this episode a lot and <laughs> like us tons of reviews. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. So um, for those of you who have not uh, been introduced to Maria before, uh, A, I would love to know what rock you're living under in vet med because uh, <laughs> she has <laughs> been uh, she has been on the podcast so far already this year. Uh, I think multiple times now at this point uh, between doing some episodes with me and Andy and, and both of us. Um, and she is uh, doing a lot of presenting in the uncharted world and outside of it. You uh, tell us, though, for anybody who has been living under that rock, uh, where how, how you found us, where you came from, what your background is. Oh, man. Um, I feel like it's totally normal if people don't know me. <laughs> but it's because feels weird to think that uh, they would, but I am everywhere. The reason why is because I love talking to people in veterinary medicine. I think the people that work in vet med are just so uniquely amazing. And I have golden retriever energy. So <laughs> every time I go to conferences, anytime I go anywhere, I'm just talking to everybody. And so usually that's that's how people know me. But my background actually comes from leadership outside of veterinary medicine first, a lot of in the food and retail industry. And then when I started in veterinary medicine 10 years ago as a receptionist, um, I took a pay cut for better work-life balance from retail, which is the running joke. And then I, <laughs> I started as a receptionist. I worked as a veterinary assistant before I was promoted to the marketing manager and then eventually a hospital administrator. Um, for a multi-doctor practice. And so I kind of was doing all of the veterinary stuff for about 10 years. Um, 
And I loved, like I said, in that process, I loved talking to everybody in vet med because I feel like the people that work uh, in our industry are just so passionate about not just animals, but also people. And I think that that's always so refreshing and, and fun to see. So I would talk to a lot of people at conferences and, you know, in the online communities and forums. I think that's where I met you, Stephanie, is one of the online groups um, yes. before we started working together on Uncharted. And yeah, and so it's usually... I I was actually a Maria Parita fan uh, <laughs> before Maria, oh, I think, you. knew that I was a fan. Um, I had seen her posting in a bunch of the manager groups that were in together. And I thought this uh, girl has great energy and you were really fun and you were always so positive, which is something that's important to me. And then oh, I you. heard you um, on a, another podcast, actually. I think I heard your episode on our friend's uh, Clint's podcast. And I, uh, I was just like, this chick uh, has some good things to say. And I was, I was a fangirl, I was intrigued. And so I started watching the things that you were doing. And um, when I knew that we were growing our team, I said to Andy, hey, I might know someone <laughs> who oh, might uh, be a good fit for us. Uh, and so um, I take full responsibility for bringing uh, Maria Parita into the Uncharted right. fold. Um, I don't let Andy claim that victory, although he will try. <laughs> um, so now all of our listeners know the truth. <laughs> and it's no one's going to let him get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, that's so funny. It's because it feels like it was so long ago. Uh, but when we first like met, but yeah, it was, you're right. It was a podcast that I did. Uh, the People of Veterinary Medicine is the first podcast that I ever did, I think. And yes. I remember, I remember mentioning the Uncharted podcast and how that one was really good. Um, and then, yeah, I think I did a couple of, a few lectures since then and was just kind of trying to help as many people as possible. And before you knew it, it was just, it's like, hey, I know you and I know you. And, and when the time came to that, I had to leave my clinic because of my, um, because of my husband's job, we were moving. I literally reached out to a lot of my friends in the industry and was like, hey, I'm going to be looking for a job. Do you know of anyone that's hiring? And when I reached out to Stephanie, I swear, I thought she was going to tell me like, oh yeah, these five different companies are hiring. Like working at Uncharted was a total <laughs> dream. And I did not think that that was even going to be, um, that was even going to be a possibility. And then she told me that they were actually, they had some positions. And so I was obviously ecstatic. Um, and I do, I do think that I accidentally manifested that. I don't know if I, I ever told you the story, Stephanie Goss, but <laughs> I forgot about this. But essentially when I was the marketing manager of a clinic in 2013 and I had found Dr. Andy Rourke and I don't think Uncharted podcast was out yet, but no. I was a big mm -mm. fan. Um, and when it did, and I think in 2013, like around 2015 ish, when Uncharted kind of started, I used to joke around with my team like, man, that Dr. Andy Rourke guy is so great. I'm going to work for him one day. And I said it as a total <laughs> joke because I didn't know where he worked. I didn't know. Right. I didn't know anything. And that, that was the running joke was that like, you don't even know this person, right? Like you're not going to work for him. Um, and I forgot that I used to say that because it, it had been years until one of my friends that knew me at the time was like, I told him that I was like, yeah, I just started a new job with Uncharted, Dr. Andy Rourke and Stephanie Goss. And like, he's like, hey, remember when you used to say you were going to work for them? And I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I totally forgot that I used to say that. And yeah, so um I'm not surprised because, you know, the universe and things, but <laughs> so you manifested it yeah. <laughs> uh, with your positivity. And we're going to talk about uh, that positivity and being a golden retriever a yeah. little bit today. Um, but uh, but I want to give a big shout out to our friend Glenn Latham. And if you have not listened to the People of Veterinary Medicine podcast, you should start and you should listen to Maria Parita's episode. <laughs> it should be your very first episode. Um, <laughs> so uh, shout out to Clint because uh, his podcast is is awesome. And Maria's got an episode on there and you should check it out. Um, but the reason that I was like, hey, hi, I need to do this episode with Maria is because I got a question in the mailbag about isolation, which which um, anybody who's listened to the first couple of minutes of this is like, hi, these are two of the most like bubbly, uh, hyper people ever. What would they know about being isolated? And uh, I thought this letter was perfect for both of us because we both came to our positions in the practice like we through 
through moving up in the practice. And so we both started out in in a um, not in a management position and moved around. And uh, we got a letter in the mailbag from a veterinary assistant who has been in uh, the field for a long time. And they have just in this last year moved up into a practice management role. And uh, their circumstances are a little bit unique in that they are working in the practice with um, the the practice owner who has a hand in managing the practice and uh, their practice uh, manager who has been managing to this point is still involved in the practice as well. And that is actually a position that I have personally experienced as well. And so I think I, I have some unique perspective maybe there in terms of working with the people who are your predecessors and who are still involved in the clinic and um, trying to grow things and change things when they're still involved. And uh, the heart of this email, um, which I think resonated with both you and I, was um, just this general feeling that this is someone who is overwhelmingly positive. They're excited about their position. They talked all about the passion that they have for their position and for the industry. And um, they are really struggling because um, they feel like they are watching themselves go from the perky, happy golden retriever cheerleader, if you will, uh, which resonates with both of us to someone who feels um, like they are the villain and (laughs) um, who feels like they are getting blamed for a lot of things. Um, And they are really struggling with coping uh, with the idea of going from being liked by everybody on the team to being uh, the villain in everybody's story. And so ultimately, the question that they asked was, am I doing, you know, because I'm feeling this way, am I doing things wrong? And they gave us some great examples about things that are are happening um, and things that they are trying. Um, But really, the the end result is that they have moved from a position of being a part of the team into a role as a leader. And they are now in the unique position that you and I both know very well, which is that as a manager, you are not going to be everyone's friend and you are not going to make everybody happy. And they are struggling with um, that space of feeling like they're working so, so hard and they are trying and they are trying to stay positive. And uh, that weight of feeling like you're the bad guy is sitting really, really heavy on them. And so um, I read this and I was like, oh, hi, you and I are both golden retrievers Mm -hmm. and and we love to talk to people and we love other people and we came from the team. And so we saw, I think we both, uh, you know, said we saw a lot of ourselves in in this. And so I thought it would be a fun one for you and I to kind of talk through together. Yeah, absolutely. I as soon as I read the question, I was like, yes, yes, 100%. I will do this episode because I have absolutely (laughs) been there. And I've been there multiple times, actually. Um, Because I think that this is a unique problem. I'm sorry, I think this is not a unique problem to veterinary medicine. This is a leadership situation that can happen in any industry. And the first time that it happened to me was actually when I was the assistant manager of a pizza place. And that was the first time that I really, really felt that that kind of pressure of of friendship. And it was really, really hard. And then again, I felt it again in veterinary medicine, very similar to your situation, Stephanie. Mine, um, the practice manager had stepped down, um, but she had put in her notice. And so she wasn't there anymore. Um, but a couple of the people that were on the team were still like her best friend was there. Her mm-hmm. son was there. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of people that, you know, um, that were still there that were in connection with this, the previous, you know, the former manager that had stepped down. And it is a very difficult position to be in for yeah. sure. So it's, it's similar, but not quite the same um, as as your your situation um, or this person's situation. Because uh, I, I only I didn't have to deal with the previous manager being there for that long. Um, but it's almost like it felt like some of those things that, that remained behind were still similar to the situation, I think. And so I'm excited to dive into this for sure. Yeah. So, okay. So let's start with headspaces as we do. The the first thing I think that's really important is that it is really lonely at the top. 
And um, Andy and I have done a podcast in the past. I think it's actually called Is Lonely at the Top. Um, and I'll throw the link to that in the show notes for everybody. But if you haven't, if especially if you're a writer, uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, take, take a listen to that because um, I think it is that transition to being to being the leader is is really really hard. Um, we've done a couple of episodes. Uh, in fact, Andy and I just recorded an episode about being friends uh, with people on the team. That's that's coming out uh, before we do this episode. So uh, it is about um, oh I don't know what the title is. Anyways, I'll link that in the show notes as well. But it's about uh, fraternization, but not the not the naughty kind. Uh, <laughs> it's about uh, being that. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, it's about being friends uh, with with the team and like, how do you balance if you do have a friend on the team and hanging out with them and that that kind of stuff. So there's a couple episodes out there uh, that I think are really important. And I think the number one uh, piece for me or where I would start with Headspace is recognizing that it is hard. It is a really hard job and it is lonely because ultimately at the end of the day, as a leader, and it doesn't matter whether you are a manager and you are in charge of directly supervising people's performance. I would argue that that actually makes the position harder, not easier. Or if you are a leader in the practice in the sense that you are a practice owner um, or someone who is not directly necessarily supervising all of the other team, uh, but you're still making decisions, it is very, very lonely because at the heart of your job is making decisions. And when you are a decision maker, you can never make everybody happy. Absolutely. Um, and so I think from Headspace perspective, getting straight with that and leaning into that is a part of evaluating the job process that I don't think we spend enough time on. We think about, can, do I have the skills to do the job? Do I, you know, do I... Am I excited about the possibility of trying new things? Do I have the skill set that it takes? Um, we think about all of those things. And yet I know from my personal experience, I didn't often ask myself the question of, do I want to be in the position that this job is actually going to put me in? Because our initial thought is, oh, this is success. And success means climbing the ladder and it means growing and stretching and getting new titles and trying new things and all of the like exciting things that come along with that because that's a golden retriever, right? Like we look at the shiny objects and we're yes. like, yes, this is <laughs> awesome. And at the same time, like the, the reality is when we grow in that way, in especially in the practice, we should also be asking ourselves the question of like, this means I'm a decision maker, if that's what the job entails. Do I understand the pros to that? And do I understand the cons to that? Because there are pros and cons. Always. There are always two sides, at least. Um, and I don't think I know myself, I didn't weigh the gravity of that. And I and I think it's one of those things that I don't know that you can until you experience it, you know, like you have to get into it. But I but I do think that it's important to ask yourself, do I understand what this job is actually going to be asking me to do? Because I think the answer for most of us is probably no. Yeah. Or I think we we do think we understand. <laughs> and so that becomes an issue. But yeah. You know, I find that also a lot of that isolation happens because practice manager is such a unique position within your practice in general. Like there is usually, depending on the size of your practice, a multiple veterinary assistants, multiple receptionists, or maybe even multiple doctors. Um, but there's almost always only one practice manager. And so I find that part of that isolation comes from you are in a unique role of you've got you know, orders and decisions, like you said, coming from the top and you're still trying to keep your team in mind, but there's only so many people that you can talk to about your situation, or at least it feels that way within your clinic, right? Because you don't want to share things that you shouldn't be sharing. Um, and so I think that that also causes some of that isolation on top yes. of the fact that we, and, and it's hard for us. Actually, I had a unique, in my situation, it was a little unique because I took a long time to accept the practice manager position um, because I I was a little different in the sense of like, I loved being a marketing manager because I didn't have a team and it was just me and it was like really fun. And I knew mm -hmm. that being a leader in other, in other industries, I knew that there was going to be some stuff that came with it that was going to be significantly more difficult. 
I did not understand the gravity of how difficult that was going to be for me at that time, because I'm like, okay, well, let me think about it. And so I did even take, I took probably about a month, I want to say, before I accepted the position because, and I started helping with some things here to help my practice owner, but I think it took about a month because it initially wasn't something that I was like trying to get or be like, I was very comfortable in my marketing position. And like you said, it was one of those things was like, well, that it is to go up, right? Like that is, I want to move up with the company. And so I, I can do that, but I understand that there's going to be some things and, and I am absolutely a golden retriever. And at the time I was friends with everyone and I was like, this is going to be really, really difficult. And so I need to really change. Yeah. I think I needed to sit down and what helped me was to sit down and think about like, okay, well, why do I, why am I even considering? Because there's a reason why I'm considering it. Right. And it ultimately for me came down to being the fact that like, I really wanted to build a different culture and I wanted to build something a little bit more unique in the sense of like, I have the leadership experience that that could really benefit this clinic. And I know what I have to do but I also know it's going to be a lot of work. Like I know, I recognize like when, when you're trying to change a culture, it is going to be a lot of work. You, you are going to have to, you're going to have to put that work in. And so I think I recognize that it was going to be a lot of work. I still, I still underestimated how much work it was going to be, I think in my, in my experience, but yeah. And then it took me a while to figure out that I could share some of my experiences, maybe not with the rest of my team, but like there's a lot of, even though there's only one practice manager in every clinic, there, every clinic has a practice manager. So that's when I started really network into the, like, who else is a practice manager that could help me along this process? And I think that that made a difference too. Okay, so hold that thought because I think that is for sure uh, on my action step list is talking about the the value and the power in connecting with our colleagues. But I want to circle back to something that you said b- before you mentioned that, uh, which I think dovetails really nicely to the second piece of Headspace um, because no matter what you said, you were looking at the reasons why you were taking the job. And I think that that is really, really important. And in our email, our listener and our writer um, to, has a great why that is a very clearly defined. They said they wanted to create the workspace that I wished that I had had in the industry in my, you know, first 15 years in practice, right? And to create an environment that is filled with healthy and happy support staff who know that their bosses and their work care about them and so that they are able to better care for their patients in return. And while a lofty goal, um, and I'll, <laughs> I'll explain why I think it's lofty in a, in a second, not that I think that it's unattainable, not that, but I, I do think that it, it's a lofty one. Um, it is an amazing why and is very clearly defined. And I I think that that is wonderful and I want to applaud them because for a lot of us, it takes some soul searching, like you said, to figure out what, why am I actually doing this? Like, what is my why? And then even if we know like our personal why, it's usually um, in my experience with my myself and my peers, not clearly defined enough that I could share it with another person. And so kudos to this writer because they can very clearly define it. Now, I want to I want to explain my lofty comment because that was not a dig. I think it's an amazing why. And the reason why I think it's lofty ties to my second piece of headspace, which is that in order to create a healthy, um, happy, supportive environment, uh, the first part of their sentence was that they wanted to create the space that they wished that they had had. And so I think what they're wanting to accomplish even though it is change for the better, it is still change. And from a headspace perspective, I think it's really, really important that we address the elephant in the room, which is that change is really, really freaking hard. And veterinary medicine hates change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I did that right. <laughs> I just need to make sure I did it right. It's, it's, it's absolutely a very yes, 100%. I'm so glad you said that. Change is hard. (laughs) Um, Change is hard. Even people who love change 
and who thrive in the environment of change, <clears throat> Andy Rourke, um, <laughs> even, even for people like our beloved boss uh, who love change and mm-hmm. get excited about it, it is hard. Change is hard. It is hard for human beings. And if you've not read the amazing works by Dr. Brené Brown, if you have not explored some of the positive psychology stuff that is out there, I think like that's a great place to start because it's all about unlocking like the science behind our little caveman brains and our little caveman brains just tell us that change is hard. And when we have an environment where we feel safe, and we have the, th- the basics that we need to sustain ourselves. Like the hardwiring tells us that we should stay in that space and not move from it because we are safe and we are protected and we have the things we need. And so asking a whole group of people to change and go away from what they know, even if they're not super happy about it, even if they don't love it, they're getting their basic needs met. Like that, the inertia required to make that change is immense. And so I don't think that it is an unattainable goal, but I do think that it's lofty from that perspective because it is going to require building that inertia for the whole group. And that is tough, tough work, my friend. And I think we also have to acknowledge that it's going to take time. And so yes. based on this this email that we've received, I think this person said they were in a, a year and a half-ish. Um, and I want to acknowledge one thing real quick. You are so wise. You, the reader that submitted this in or this listener that submitted this in is so wise to sit and be like, this is where I'm at and I have this situation and I'm coming to people who know um, who have been there or know exact what maybe what to do. Um, but I think that when, if you're if you're already listening to this podcast um, or other veterinary management podcasts, you are so wise because you're going out into the resources that you know that you have. And so I think that that also needs to be said is that you're coming here to a place in which we, we talk about these things and you're going to get, you know, some feedback on on what we can what can be done. I'm going to tell you right now that it's going to take time. It's going to take work. It is absolutely possible. I've seen it happen. But like Stephanie said, it's a lofty goal. So you need you need to understand that it's going to take work and it's going to take time. And and so I'm not saying it's going to take another three, five years, but it could take another year for you to to really see the big changes. And so and a lot of times that's how it goes. Right. You go work out. I'm work out is my brain right now because that's what I've been doing. But it's been three months of working out regularly and I am only down 20 pounds. <laughs> And it's been three months, okay? <laughs> I You're am tired. Hard. Uh, it's a lot of work. Um, but also, like, we have to look at it as progress. I am already down 20 pounds. You know, I'm right. only 10 pounds away from my goal. And so, at the, it, it's kind of, this is very similar is, you know, I love that you can define your why. I love that you you know that. I love that you're here, that you're wise enough to recognize that like, hey, I, I need I need guidance on this. And then also, um, you know, don't be afraid to celebrate where you are because I'm sure some changes happen for the better and you need to be able to recognize that and have a metric to look at it beyond that too. Um, so I think, I think that's also needs to be mentioned in the headspace piece. Yeah, totally. So um, I think the so knowing that it's hard, it's lonely at the top, it, you're, you're not going to make everybody happy, right? The Your role as a decision maker means that you're going to make people unhappy, in fact, um, and probably repeatedly over time. Um, knowing that you're not in this alone, like this is really common, um, A, and B, there are other managers out there. And so we're going to address that in, in action steps. I think it is a possible goal and it is possible to change. But to your point, remembering that it is going to it is going to take time. Um, I think those are some pretty good headspace uh, pieces. Is there anything else from the headspace perspective uh, that you can think of, Maria? No, I think we covered it. I think that's OK. Yeah. OK, um, then why don't we pause here for a second, because I've got some action steps uh, that I want us to dive into. And I want to get to the heart of the question that they asked about being a villain in everybody's story, because uh, that's going to be the fun part. So let's take a break and we'll come right back and uh, dive into some action steps. Hey, friends. 
I said it at the beginning of the episode, but I am delivering some info for you that's super important, which is we have one of my favorite events coming up. That's right. We are doing our Practice Manager Summit. It is something that is near and dear to my little manager heart, and I'm super, super excited because I am going to be sharing uh, this experience with some of my favorite people in veterinary medicine and someone that I am excited to fangirl over because I have been following her for a really long time and I've never had an opportunity to meet her and I'm super excited about it. So if you are a manager listening to today's podcast and you have not checked out the info, head over to unchartedvet.com forward slash upcoming dash events and you will be able to find the practice manager summit page and sign up to see all of the information about the program and the workshops. It's one day virtual summit. It has got a price point that I am hoping fits into everybody's CE budget because we would love to see you there. It is going to be jam packed. We've got awesome speakers and I'm going to tell you a little bit more at the end of the episode about that workshop I said at the beginning was coming. So stay tuned. And now back to the podcast. Okay. So uh, let's talk about some some action steps uh, because let's talk about being the villain. Um, so this manager asked specifically, like, how do you cope with going from being liked by all to being the villain? And they gave us some really, really great examples that I that I thought was so awesome. Um, and so they, <laughs> because they're so basic. And so um, I think this is going to be one of those episodes where I it's it's so funny how often I get messages, uh, text messages from friends, uh, messages on uh, Instagram or Facebook from people who are like, hey, I was listening to this week's podcast. Were you on a fly on the wall in my clinic? Because I swear to God, you guys were talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so I think this is going to be one of those episodes. Um, but they were like, you know, I, if I, um, if I, uh, one of the examples was I gave some extra tasks to someone on the team who was asking for some more responsibility. And they heard some backhanded comments from other people on the team that now that they were playing favorites because they were giving that other person, uh, extra things to do and not everybody else. Uh, they made some, uh, announcements about following safety guidelines. And this is one of my favorites. This is where I know that other people are going to feel hurt on this. Um, The thing that I did was, God forbid that I make everybody um, wear their radio, their radiology safety equipment. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So in my one of the first things that I did was because I was just fresh out of tech school when I started as a manager. And I was like, hi, none of us are wearing our gloves when we take x-rays. And I know, I know, I know how bad it is. Like we all know the things that we're supposed to not go into x-ray without, right? Where it's it's our lead apron, it's our thyroid shield, it's our dosimeter badge, and it's our freaking gloves. And yet I know I'm not the only person who's going to say this big no-no out loud and say that we take x-rays without our gloves. I see them. I <laughs> our radiologists cringe when you would send out the films and you'd see somebody's little phalanges in the image because they weren't wearing their gloves, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember vividly like telling everybody, "Hey guys, we have because we got a notice." Um, I was in California at the time, and they take everything seriously, uh, government wise. And we got a notice that they were coming to do an inspection of our facility. And so I was like, "Holy crap, we better be following the rules." And so I like put out a notice to everybody, and I was like, "Hey." Uh, we have to start wearing gloves when we were taking our x-rays. And you would have thought that I was Cruella DeVille. Like all of us, people that I like hung out with every night, we would go out to the bar and I literally would be sitting there with them having a drink and all they would be doing was complaining about how I was the meanest person on the planet because it was so much harder for them to do their job and wear gloves when they were taking x-rays. <laughs> and, and it sounds so ridiculous, but I remember in the moment, laughing it off with them, but also inside feeling like, are you guys serious right now? Like, I'm just asking you to do your job. I don't understand. Like, I get it. I get that it makes it harder. I get that positioning is more difficult. I get that the gloves that we were using 20 years ago were not super user-friendly. Like, not that they're super user-friendly now, but they are more user-friendly than they were back then. All of those things. I totally get it. And at the same time, like, it was hard for me to feel, because I felt what this listener felt, which is like, 
I, I am Cruella here, apparently. And all I'm asking is for you to do your job, right? Because as a technician, yeah. I learned in school. I knew what the, the reason why. I knew the why behind what I was asking. My friends did too. But it was easier for them to complain and to poke fun at me. And they weren't doing it. They weren't being spiteful. They weren't being mean. No one was like, please. You know, it wasn't like nobody stood up to me in the treatment room and was like, F off, I'm not going to do this. But it still was that environment of like, here's the thing that I'm doing because I'm trying to follow the rules. I'm trying to make sure that we don't get fined when the inspector comes to the practice. And yet everybody is giving me a hard time over it. Um, And so I think it's really important to recognize that from uh, from an action step perspective, that there is always going to be your role is to enforce people doing their job. Your role is to make decisions that are not going to make everybody happy because the reality of being a decision maker is someone will always be unhappy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's like being it's like being a parent. It it brings immeasurable joy and there are still times where I tell my kid go brush your teeth and you would think it's the end of the world. I'm not telling them for my own like because it's fun. I'm telling them because I don't want their teeth to rot out of their face and I know as adults they don't want it either, mm-hmm. but they're still going to argue with me. <laughs> and yell at me and they're freaking teenagers now right like my parents who are listening get me here it's the same with our team and i think it's really it's just important to recognize that there will always be perception by the team that does not match up to the reality of your position you know no i'm not i'm not asking you to wear your gloves in radiology because i'm literally trying to make your life more difficult. But the perception of my friends at the time was I'm asking them to do a thing that is making their job more difficult in their in their minds and maybe realistically to some degree is true. And so therefore I'm the bad guy. That's just reality when you're a decision maker in the practice. Mm-hmm. And so I think from an action set perspective, like understanding that and acknowledging that ultimately goes a long way to smoothing and smoothing things out and making the road uh, be a little bit more even, I started acknowledging it and calling it out to the team when I when I realized it's not going to make everybody happy. It, I don't know that it made it better, but like to be able to say to them, hey, guys, listen, I know it's easier to take x-rays without your gloves on. I've done it. And this is why I need us to make this change. And I'm I'm not asking you to do something I'm not going to do. If you see me walk into x-ray and not put my gloves on, I want you to call me out on it too, because I'm asking you to make this change for a reason, right? It's acknowledging that and understanding that their perception can be negative. I think calling that out makes a big difference. Yeah. And I love what you said about understanding that perception, because that was, that was on my list as number one too, because even if it's just moving or shifting examples, right? Because um, the one that stuck out to my brain is, oh, I gave more responsibility to this one person and they think now that I have favoritism. And how right. funny is that, that you gave more work to somebody and they were like, <laughs> oh, you must like her more because you're giving her more work. <laughs> so, it is it is hilarious. Um but we have to understand what perception does, right? And perception, um, even though it's, we know that like there's probably a good reason why you gave this work to this person, whether it be her skills, whether it be that she had the capacity, whatever the reason it was, you have to understand that because you are now in a management role, there's always going to be that perception of favoritism uh, whenever we do when we, whenever we do certain things. And so, keeping in mind that 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 perception is always going to be there. There are some things that I had to do, especially with certain um, team members in the sense of like, listen, um, I know that like back when we were friends, I used to go out and get us both coffee, just you and I, but like, because I'm in a management role now, I'm going to, I'm only going to get coffee when I can get coffee for the whole team, because I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm showing favoritism towards you Mm -hmm. uh, because Mm -hmm. they already know that we were friends before I was in a manager. Like we have to, we have to understand that if I, the perception, right? So understand the perception in the sense of like, 
if you're going to lunch regularly with one person in the clinic, there's going to be the perception that you like that one person better than anyone else. And so later mm-hmm. on, when you give that one person <laughs> the the job or the right. task, right. you're fighting the perception that that's going to be there, no matter, even if the favoritism is not there. The perception right. for the rest of the team is there, and that can cause enough of a reality in their brains to create problems, to gossip, to to have that feeling of, of well the only way I'm going to get ahead is if I'm her favorite and, you know, things like that. So understand that that perception is going to be there no matter what. And, and I love, I love that. And I, I love your example about coffee because that's such a, that's such a good one. Cause it's, you know, it's one of those things that's, e- that's easy to think of. Um, and I think your, your point about uh, giving them more work to do is, is super solid because gosh, who would have thought that giving someone more work <laughs> would would indicate favoritism but it but it is it is true and so I think just um for me another piece kind of to unlocking that and creating open door if you will an open door for my team because because I think the other thing um from an action step perspective is to figure out how is how is this manager learning about a lot of this and I suspect from their email that they're learning a lot of it third hand so other people they're they feel like they're getting talked about behind their back and they're probably hearing about it from one or two people on the team maybe they're maybe people are saying things to their face but I know in the beginning for me it was getting fed that information by the people who were my friends and who were like, oh, hey, just so you know, today in the treatment room, like everybody was talking about this thing and they were all mad about it. Um, and so I think it's important to recognize, like, how are you getting that information? Because that is really unhealthy environment. And while it is good in the sense that you were learning about things that you wouldn't maybe know about otherwise, it is also really unhealthy because no matter how much those people care about you, the information that you're getting is always filtered through the telephone filter of the fact that they love you and they care about you. And so it is not going, it is going to be their perception of what happened. And so it does not ever allow you to judge for yourself what is happening. And so as a leader, the best thing that you can do is create an environment and create safety and space for your team to speak up and say those things to your face, even though it's a lot harder to take. It's a lot harder for your team to do. Paving that road so that they feel comfortable and confident asking you, hey, I saw that you gave Maria extra things to do the other day. And I uh, don't think that's fair because I think that we all should have the opportunity to do that extra work. Who says that? Um, (laughs) (laughs) It had to have been fun work. It had to have been fun okay. work is the so only thing. Just say like a fun project or something that everybody was <laughs> excited about. Because honestly, like the best thing for me as a manager would be for someone to say that to me, because then I have the opportunity to pause and think about why did I actually make that decision? Because when we do that, we are forced to actually examine our own bias. Did I give it to Maria because I trust her and I know she'll just do it without complaining? I shouldn't tell my team that in those words. And if there's truth to that, I also should create a space where I can give them that kind of feedback. Oh, I knew that Maria would be up for the challenge and she would be totally willing to do whatever I threw at her. And she let me know that she was done with all of her daily checklists. So I knew that she needed something to do today. I would love to consider you for things like that in the future. Um, It would help me if I knew when you were done with your tasks the way that I did Maria so that I could consider that. And also like, I need to know what you're up for. So let's have a conversation about what you're interested in and what you'd be, you know, what you'd be, be up for. What do you like about it? Like, you know, are you excited about actually doing this thing? Cause she was really excited about the project, but is there another project that might interest you? Right. It opens the door to have those conversations and kind of call out the reason why I made that decision in the first place. And sometimes like, honestly, the reason is Maria was standing there. And so I was just like, Hey, 
go do like I want you to like, go do this thing. You're yeah. standing there. You look like you don't have anything to do because the reality is like that's how we make a lot of those decisions. There's not sometimes there is thought and forethought in the way <laughs> the way that we react as a manager and also like we're trying to keep 10 million plates spinning at once and so sometimes there's not thought in it. And I think that the value um, for me, like the Jedi mind trick was really getting to the place where I created the safety amongst my team for them to both share those things with me to my face and also for me to be able to be honest with them and tell them. And this is hard because especially if you are one of those people who says what you think without a filter. <laughs> Hi, it's me. It's I'm me. the problem. It's me. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, All I can say is you should have seen me in high school. It was a lot worse back then, okay? (laughs) I really had to work to develop that filter because young manager Mm -hmm. Stephanie would have said, oh, Maria was literally standing around and so I gave her a job to do, right? And like that may be okay to say that, but may also require a little more tact or a little more finesse <laughs> to be to be useful as a tool to be to be able to say something like, you know, oh, I knew Maria was looking for things to do because she communicated to me that she was already done with her checklist. If you would love to take on other things, just let me know when you have some free time and I'd be happy to to give you something to do, right? Like I'm saying the same thing, but it's the way that I'm saying it that's very different. And they create different responses in different environments with the with the team. And that I think just takes time and skill. But I think that goes to the heart of the the feels expressed in this email from this manager have to do with the fact that I think that they're probably hearing a lot of this secondhand. And so recognizing that how you're hearing it, even if you're hearing it with the best of intentions, is being filtered through their perception. And so the best thing for you as a a leader is to work really hard. And again, this is Rome is not built in a day like you have to lay the groundwork and this is going to take time but creating that space where your team feels safe and confident and comfortable sharing those things with you directly. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually kind of goes with my, what I had written down for my second step was really to acknowledge the shift in things. And what I mean by that is like the shift in your role as a practice manager is something that you kind of, you do at some point have to acknowledge. And I remember when I was in the clinic setting and I had somebody, um, they came out to me like, yeah, I noticed like you don't go, out with us uh, for drinks as much as you used to. And I was like, yeah, um, you know, it's one thing because I, for one, I had really moved far away. And so it was a little bit harder. And for right. two, I had to explain <laughs> to them that, you know, um, and what she meant with us was she meant like with us three, three out of my team right. of like 15. And right. I had to explain to her at that time being like, hey, yeah, I, I don't go. Um, I'm trying to go less unless the entire team is there. And truly like sitting down and we had a discussion about what that meant, because I didn't want people to think. And and I had that discussion from her, like from her view, like, listen, you've worked really hard to where you are right now and we're friends. And if I continue, if I do these things, like go only for drinks with the three of you, there's going to be this perception of favoritism. And when that happens, you will get some of that heat. And I don't want that for me, for you. Like people will start to think that, you know, the work that you've done, the only reason you're, you're promoted to anything is because mm-hmm. we're best friends or, mm-hmm. you know, they'll give you the cold shoulder if they think that you're getting less work than I am. And so, like, right. we have to d- address this, not just that this is better for the clinic and for myself, but it's also better for you in a lot of ways. And so under having that discussion early on and setting your boundaries early on as a manager is really, really important because I think sometimes, too, and this comes from from what you were just saying of, like, getting that a uh, third party, like the information almost like from a third party source, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to set that boundary early on of like, hey, um, I appreciate that you're giving me this information. I, I, you know, I need to know like when this happens in the moment so that I can go in there or if there's a certain way for us to submit this or like, you know, in, sometimes it is just the way in which it is communicated, right? Because it, I think immediately of like, Oh, well, everyone in the treatment room was talking about how they hated that this happened. Immediately, I'm going to question everyone or was there just a few people? Like, is that mm-hmm. a big deal? Mm-hmm. Was it everyone? Yeah. Right. And they were talking about they hate it or were they talking about how they disliked it? And were they talking about that they hate this or they just dislike, you know, the certain way right. which it was done? Like, right. you are 100% right. You're getting the information 
it completely filtered and it could be to protect you or it could be to get, you know, um, to like just their perception of how it was to them. It right. might have been everybody. Right. But really, everybody was only three out of your team of five. Right. You know, <laughs> there's still two people who don't care that they have to wear their gloves. <laughs> right. So like, right. And it's just one of those things of like setting the boundary of when you come with information like this, I need specifics of when did it happen? How many people were there? Like who has an issue with me so that I can address it with them in the moment. And I think you also mentioned like a couple of different tools that can be used. One, you said making that a safe space for everybody. You don't absolutely, I want to create the space of of having this open door doesn't necessarily mean you have to be available all the time. And this is something that I talk about in my communication boundaries when I talk about this and which is coming up actually, uh, I have a boundary setting a workshop at practice leadership summit in December. Uh, if anyone is going to that <laughs> specifically for the practice manager and practice owner relationship. Um, but <laughs> what I was getting at was that you can set those boundaries early on about like, Hey, when you come to me, this is, this is how, but, there's also tools that can be used. So for example, like anonymous forms so that everybody can feel comfortable bringing up information with you if there is a situation. And then things like one-on-ones, like what is the cadence of them being able to bring up things like when they're unhappy? Because if somebody brought this up at a one-on-one with me of like, hey, so-and-so got more more work and I, that's work that I would have really liked to do. That's something that I would have hopefully heard during a one-on-one, not coming from somebody else telling me that they're upset that I gave it to this other person, right? And it, the information is just going to be better that, in, in better that way because you're getting it firsthand, not from other people. So I, I think you mentioned a couple of those tools there, which are yeah. important to address. I think one of the tools that was most helpful for me there was learning the power of um, starting wide and like young manager Stephanie, I remember vividly several times hearing things third hand and then going to the person and being like, well, I heard that this happened and I want to address it. Even though I'm trying that conversation with the best of intentions. It's confrontational. Yeah. It's immediately going to put them on the defense and or on the offense, right? Like they're going to get either get heated or they're going to be like, no, I didn't participate in that conversation because who's going to admit that they were, you know, standing in the tree room talking right. smack about their boss, right? Like that's, that's, a, you're immediately putting them in a no-win situation. And so the, one of the most of valuable tools that I ever learned to use as a manager is just, how's it going? Yep. And then shut up and listen to their answer. And so I love that you brought up one-on-ones because I think that that is such a powerful environment and your team's going to be afraid of it. If you've never had regular like sit downs with them, they're going to feel like they're getting called to the principal's office. Oh, yeah. And this is where, <laughs> this is where you've got to let some of the things go that have been happening. Like, I know that you're upset about it. I know you've been heard because they've been talking about it. I know that yesterday they may have been talking smack about the fact that you suggested let's have daily rounds to check in and make sure how, you know, how everybody's day is going. Whatever the thing is, they're hacked off about it. And they've, but you've got to let it go. Let it channel Elsa, move on from that shit. Because you have got to get to the place where there is, they are talking to you and bringing up current real life examples that they are telling you about directly so that you can actually do something about it because the hearsay is not going to help anything. And if you create that safety and then you sit down with them and you've created an environment where they're telling you about things and then you're like, hey, I want to talk to you about these things that you've been doing over the last three months, you're undoing all of that work that you just did and you're immediately putting them right back on the defensive. So you've got to let it all go and you've got to figure out how do you create that space moving forward And so if you're not sitting down and having regular check-ins with them, start purely with the intention of asking them, how's it going? Is there anything that at work that is you're loving right now? Is there anything at work right now that's making your life more difficult? There are some really easy questions that you can ask and we can, um, you know, uh, I, Google is your friend, friends. I get asked all the time, like, I don't even know where to, like, what would I ask in a one-on-one? What does that look like? There are some great blogs out there about what does a one-on-one look like? What kind of questions can you ask? That's where I I have a list um, and I get asked all the time because my, I think my list has, I don't know, it's coming up probably on 200 questions of things that I can ask on all different topics in one-on-ones. 
I got them all from Google. (laughs) You just, you know, and from reading blogs and hearing what other managers are asking and like someone will bring up, we'll be talking about one-on-ones in a manager's group and somebody will say, oh, I asked my people this question. I'm like, oh, that's gold. I'm writing that down. Right. And then I, and then I adjust it, but it's starting wide and asking the question, how's it going? What do you love about work? What is making your life more difficult? And just then whatever they give you, if they give you nothing, great. Thanks for spending the time sitting, talking to me. I would love to touch base with you again next week. You're you're conditioning them. You're training them. Andy says it all the time on the podcast. Humans are simple animals. And how do we train them? We do the same thing over and over again, and we reward the behavior when it's good, right? So we just say, hey, thanks. Thanks for thanks for checking in with me. Uh, nothing's up. I just wanted to start talking because I want to know how things are going for you because my goal is to create a happy and healthy space where you all love coming to work. I just want to know how it's going and then let them walk out the door and then do it over again the next week, the next week, the next week, the next week. And if they tell you something, then it's your job to say, great, I want to work on that. How can we, how can we problem solve that and take the examples and they won't most of the time start with something big and earth shattering that you can like, you're going to get excited about, but you take the small things and you build on them because eventually if you follow that path over time, you create that space where Maria comes into my office and I'm like, Hey Maria, how's, how's your week going? What, uh, you know, is there anything at, at work that is making your life more difficult? And if we've spent that time and energy, then Maria has this, the space to say, yeah, why did you give somebody more work? than me how dare you <laughs> and it's gonna be real and raw just like that <laughs> how dare you? because you've built trust and confidence over time i, will say I would say to... no i don't uh <laughs> i am sorry that you <laughs> were offended by that because literally there was zero forethought in me making that decision you know Andy just happened to walk by my office and look like he needed something to do and I was like hey do you want a project and he said yes so next time knowing that you're interested in it tell me what kind of things you'd like to work on because I would love to know what I can send your way right like then it creates that space for us to have that back and forth kind of conversation Andy creates this uh developmental piece too I mean if you think about it going into that example further out and being like Well, the reason why I liked it is because it's fear free and I love fear free. And it's like all of a sudden now maybe this becomes your fear free cheerleader because, you know, now you found out that they're they're really interested in it. And there's there's one thing that you actually said, Stephanie Goss, at a lecture once of yours that I attended to. And um, (laughs) it was one of my favorite things that I still to this day uh, say to young practice managers is that performance reviews are called reviews for a reason because they're a review of the performance that has happened. It shouldn't be the first time that they're hearing that. And so if you're having regular one-on-ones, you're able to, you know, let them know how they're doing, get excited about the things that they're doing. And that review is indeed a review, but it shouldn't be the first time that you're bringing up, um, you know, what they're really good at or their goals or where they want to develop. You should already have that information um, and then reviewing it at, at the review. And so I think it's a really good good space to build connection with your entire team. It helps address things of, of you know, um, it helps address things like that can turn into gossip. This bottom line, when you're hearing it, you know, around from the clinic, that's what it is. And so it can help you address a lot of those, uh, a lot of that gossip. It can help you set your boundaries early on. It can help you acknowledge what, you know, their goals are and what they're working on and, and really just one thing to keep in mind on that is that it's not going to happen overnight. Like we talked about with Mm -hmm. earlier, you know, Mm -hmm. Stephanie said it a hundred percent. It is creating that space for them. Right. And it's not going to happen overnight. So maybe the first time they're not going to be as open with you right away, but like, keep it consistent, keep it going. And they will at some point be like, okay, I'm going to open up this time. And let me tell you, when I first started one-on-ones in my clinic, half of the people were like, oh, cool. That sounds great. Half of the people were like, another thing for me to do. Like, we don't Mm -hmm. have the time for this. And so just Mm -hmm. acknowledge that you, it's change, right? And we talked about this. Change is going to be hard Mm -hmm. and you're going to have people that don't want to. But I will tell you, the people that were like, I don't have time for this, were some of the people that had the longest conversations with me in those rooms because they had a lot to say, actually. Mm And Mm -hmm. our relationship got so much better over time because Mm -hmm. we were sitting down regularly. So just know it's still change. It's Mm -hmm. still going to be a wind up. It's still going to take time to to really get it going. But once you see the results of it, you'll you'll feel it almost 
you, you'll feel the results and you'll be like, yes, this is something that I'm going to continue doing <laughs> for a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the last thing um, on building connection, you know, you talked about building connection with the entire team in terms of doing one-on-ones and being overly communicative and sharing uh, as the information that everybody needs with everybody in every possible way so that there can be no doubt about what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it, um, I think is that you have to build a support network that doesn't include people in the clinic. And um, I think that that's important for two reasons. One is that everybody needs a sounding board. And for a lot of people, that sounding board is they go home and they have someone, whether it's a roommate or a partner or a spouse um, and or their parents, and they're just like, let me unload my day, right? That's human nature. It often, when it's someone who loves us and cares about us, is just venting because Mm -hmm. they want us to make us feel better because they care about us. And I think it's really important to find people in your workspace who actually understand and can help you turn it from venting into problem solving because they help you make the conversation productive. And if you have someone in your life that you can go home to and like you are getting the best of both worlds, like if you have someone you can go home to and they help you turn it productive and they ask you those kind of challenging questions, great. If you don't, and that's, I think the majority of us, because our, you know, the people we live with that care about us just want us to feel happy. Find that, find that space and find those people and find your community because being able to ask, how do, how do I solve this? How do I problem solve this? What should I try? What can I do? To your point early on in the episode, finding the space where you can go and ask those questions, both from people who have been there before, but also from people who have that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, I'm super excited. The camaraderie of putting a bunch of those people together is huge. And so I think finding a space, whether it is, you know, a group of fellow managers in your local community, you and I are both big advocates for uh, local manager groups. Um, I ran ours here for for a long time, um, where there's value and people who live in your area who see the same client issues you do in connecting with each other and looking at each other, not as competition, but as allies and as resources for surviving the job, because it is hard. Um, Or whether it's is looking at that same environment on a massive scale, like the VHMA, the Veterinary Hospital Managers Association, or the bigger national groups, whether it's finding a group of peers on Facebook, which is kind of how you and I got to know each other more, yes. uh, was in uh, was in a in a Facebook group. Shout out to our friends in VPMU. Um, uh, so if you're not in a in a practice group and you're on social media, there's plenty of them on Facebook, um, and you can find your niche. VPMU is a little bit sassy, a little bit salty. Uh, it's a lot fun. There's a lot of truth tellers in that group, which is, I think, part of why you and I love it. It's very real. Um, and it's not for everybody, right? And there are other practice managers groups that are a lot more structured, that are a lot more, um, have a lot more, um, let's, let's, you know, talk about the, let's talk about the systems and structures that we have seen work. There's groups that talk just about finances. There's groups that just talk about HR, like whatever your need is. Yeah, it's out there. And so I think uh, looking at that and finding finding your place, um, obviously, if you're not in Uncharted, you should be a member of Uncharted (laughs) because it's the best place ever. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure there is a recorded workshop, a uh, magical one-on-ones that I did earlier this year. And if you're a community member, you would have access to that. Just saying. Ooh. But also you would have a network of amazing people Pierce. in veterinary medicine that are just doing wonderful things. And it's a very positive community. And I think that's one of my favorite things about it. But the, I was also going to say too, if you don't find one, start one. Um, yes, a hundred percent. That's how they all got started. And so most of them have like, there's, they'll be usually like, I'm a big fan of doing the local ones and the big ones. Um, and I will also say that if you're ever at a conference and you see myself and Stephanie Goss, come up and say hello to us because we <laughs> yes. are golden retrievers. We love talking to people. And, uh, that is a hundred percent how I made a lot of my connections. <laughs> it's just, For I sure. still think about this day, how I went to Chicago veterinary medical, uh, the, yeah, CVMA association. It was a, it was a local conference and Eric Garcia was talking about marketing. I was a marketing manager at the time. And he was like, 
in his in his you know talk he said oh add me on facebook if you want you know do you know, let me know i'm always wanting to uh-huh. help and reach out i don't know how many people actually uh did that but i did i went up to him and i was like hey i loved your 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 talk just now it was so good um i was like i'm totally gonna add you on facebook i was wondering if i could pick your brain about some resources and he's like yeah email me and i'll send them to you and so he did and i remember him giving me some advice on my website at the time so what i'm getting at is don't be afraid to just go up to people at your local events and say hello. And even if it's somebody that's like a speaker, because believe it or not, like find the people that you want to be like and put them in your network somehow, you know, whether it's, you know, them on social media, they're going to be sharing the information over and over again. You know, I oftentimes see a lot of the posts from Eric Garcia and I'm like, wow, that, that really hits home for me. And so I think a lot of it is we are what we consume. And so that's why I used to listen to the podcast, this podcast, Uncharted, on my way to work every single day <laughs> because it would motivate me in just the right way to be positive, <laughs> to be fun, and to get actionable. And so you are like what you consume, and that includes your network of, of people. And so I highly recommend that you put practice managers in that because they're going to understand your struggle, but also people that might not be practice managers because at the end of the day, when you're a practice manager, you're also IT, you're also the marketing department, you're also, you know, all of these different things that I think there's, there's different roles, but absolutely your network is where you're going to have a lot of help and a lot of guidance. Um, okay. This was awesome. And two things, one, we're out of time. Um, and so, <laughs> surprise, so, surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, and so we're going to wrap it here. And two, if our writer is listening, they're like, but wait, they didn't talk about the other half of my letter. And so, uh, this is going to be a two parter because there is meat at the beginning of the episode. I talked about having commonality with them because it is hard. Uh, you and I both have worked in an environment where, uh, uh, someone who is in in the position or a practice owner is still involved and you're, you're making decisions with them there. Um, and so stay tuned for part two of this, which is, you know, how do you be, how do you be a leader and still work, uh, with people who may not be behind all of the change that you're trying to make because change is hard. Um, so stay tuned for that and more of Maria Prita. Thanks for joining me today. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I love talking with Maria. This, t- this conversation today was no exception. And I hope that you all enjoyed it. And like I said at the very beginning, and like I dropped it in the middle of the show, there's a workshop that falls along these lines. So if you are someone who has been or is currently in the position of moving up in your practice and going from being friends with the team to becoming a boss, you are not going to want to miss our Practice Manager Summit, which is happening uh, in February. And my uh, dear friend, Tammy Lind, who is a technician, uh, she is she is so, so funny. Uh, she is just, she's just a force. And I am so excited for you all to get to meet her at Practice Manager Summit if you haven't had the experience. And she uh, is, the, is a manager at Purdue in the vet hospital. And she's experienced the journey and is doing a workshop about what it means means to um, be go from being a peer to being a manager and I'm super excited about this. We've got uh, some other awesome speakers as well. My good friend Mike Falconer is coming back to Uncharted and going to be speaking about language and emotions of groups and teams. And then I said I was going to fangirl, and I am, uh, because Amanda Donnelly is going to be with us. And Amanda is someone who I have followed uh, since I was a young manager, and I've never had the opportunity to meet her, and I'm excited to do it virtually. She is going to be uh, doing a session about creating a culture of accountability. So if this kind of stuff today's episode any of these topics sound like uh they're your jam oh and i'm going to be doing a workshop about managing team conflict i guess uh, i'd hate talking about myself so i totally forgot that but i am going to be doing a workshop about managing team conflict so any of this sounds like it's your jam head over to the website unchartedvet.com forward slash upcoming dash events and find out more and sign up today because we want to see you there see you next time <laughs>